0: This episode of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Instructional Design and Technology Program at Emporia State University. The IDT program at ESU prepares individuals for leadership in design, development, and integration of technology into K 12 as well as private sector teaching and other areas of organizational training. Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge On Air podcast. I'm Sydney Johnson, an assistant editor at EdSurge. We know artificial intelligence is changing things, or at least the people who are building the algorithms and technologies behind artificial intelligence are. But like the tech industry at large, the people building AI often don't look like their users or come from similar backgrounds. And in fact, diversity in representation is actually worse in the field of AI than in both engineering or computer science. And that can have damaging effects on who has access to these tools, what they aim to do, and who benefits from the field of AI and who doesn't. This was a topic of conversation this April at the ASU-GSV conference, an event that brings together education investors and entrepreneurs from all around the world, and it's hosted by Arizona State University and GSV, a venture capital firm. One of the challenges with bias in AI tends to come down to who has access to these careers in the first place. And that's the area that Tess Posner, CEO of the nonprofit AI for All, is trying to address. During our live interview series at the conference, she told us about how her organization works with diverse youth to introduce them to AI fields and careers. Here she is. Tess, thanks so much for joining us for our interview series. Yeah, really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Just to get started, for folks that are tuning in that maybe don't know what AI for All is about, um, can you maybe start off by telling us sort of what you guys do and and maybe by um, starting with how you got started and, and how AI for All really, really came together?
1: Yeah, so artificial intelligence is one of the most critical technologies of our time. It's actually going to reshape almost every industry, and we see that people are using the technology every day. We have it in our pockets, and our smartphones, and in fact, 85% of Americans use AI technology every day. But right now, there's a big diversity crisis in the field, so the technology itself is being built and shaped and decided by really a homogenous group of individuals. And to get into the field and be part of that decision-making and development is only accessible to a few. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly what AI for All was started to address. We're working to increase diversity and inclusion in the field, and really we believe that that will lead to the best outcomes for AI as well as mitigate potential risks. Mm-hmm. So
0: how do you guys do that? I understand you partner with schools and institutions, um, but really what's what's kind of the nuts and bolts of the work that you do?
1: Yeah, so we're actually running education and mentorship programs for underrepresented young people mm-hmm. to get into the field. So. Our flagship program, which um, we started in 2017, we actually just celebrated our two-year anniversary, Um, and we run AI summer camps for underrepresented high schoolers. We host them at university AI labs where the technology is being built and created and where there's a lot of great talent to teach the classes. And then we recruit underrepresented young people um, from different communities, specifically girls, low-income students, and youth of color. And we get them introduced to AI through um, learning technical skills, introduced to role models and mentors in the field, but then most importantly they actually work on AI projects that are related to solving an important problem in the world using AI technology. Um, Then we have an alumni program which helps the students after the summer camp continue learning connected to role models and mentors and then internships, professional development opportunities.
0: Let's, let's take a step back. So obviously what you guys are working on is an enormous nut to crack. <laughs> but what are some of the big causes that you see?
1: I think the problem is multifaceted, which is why it's not an easy one to solve. So you have the sort of access and pipeline issue where, for example, only 35% of schools, high schools in the U.S. teach CS. Mm-hmm. And most of them don't even teach AI. So there's really a lack of access among most young people. Um, But then throughout, you know, the KPOR Center, which just put out this report about it, calls it the leaky tech pipeline and that there's a lot of leaks throughout. So it doesn't just start early, even though that's where we're focusing on. But at each stage, there are barriers preventing people from getting into it, Um, stemming from the access piece, lack of role models and mentors in the field, And also just a problematic culture in tech generally Mm -hmm. that creates this image of it that makes it not appealing. And even issues of like direct discrimination and harassment Mm -hmm. that we see where the cultures are not inclusive and supporting people of all backgrounds to succeed. So we actually have to solve the the issue at all stages. And it's a very holistic approach that's required. AI for All is specifically focusing on the access feeds because we believe that starting early is really important, but then we're also ensuring that the students have that ongoing support into not only college but into career in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we also work with a lot of companies and other organizations to try to find and influence those cultures to be more inclusive and making sure that our students are entering the workforce and have really great places and spaces to go into or mm-hmm. start their own companies. Yeah.
0: Why are you focused on AI in particular? Um, Obviously, we know this is an issue across the tech industry, across CS education. Um, So why focus on on AI specifically?
1: Yeah, so as we talked about before, it's pretty pervasive and it's getting embedded pretty invisibly into almost every industry. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is that we're delegating decision making to AI systems. In other words, we're kind of outsourcing things and saying, well, it'll be easier and more objective if AI can help make that decision. Mm -hmm. So for example, it's helping us make hiring decisions. It's helping us make decisions about who gets parole, who gets access to financial services. And what we're seeing is that existing societal biases like sexism and racism, are actually creeping into AI systems. Mm-hmm. And this is often unintentional, right. um, but because that's showing up and because we're delegating these decisions to AI systems, imagine if these systems are biased, which we are seeing, yeah. that could actually further marginalize certain populations from key services or make false decisions that could have life-changing consequences
0: yeah.
1: or just basically not have products that represent the users very well. So we really believe that it's important. You're going to get a better outcome in these kinds of questions being asked if you have a more diverse team from different backgrounds identifying those issues from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also from an equity lens, we need to have this important technology that's so powerful not just be in the hands of a few people, because it does it is going to shape so many things. Yeah. Um, and what's the
0: process like in terms of reaching out to these students? Obviously you're trying to reach students who maybe don't know about this already or or you're trying to reach students who don't have access to this kind of education and what does that outreach involve?
1: Yeah it's a very grassroots effort and it's actually going on right now so for anyone (laughs) watching we're still recruiting for these summer camps (laughs) Um, but basically we work with a lot of community-based organizations, teachers, schools all over Um, North America right now to try to identify students Mm. and We are focusing on areas where this knowledge may not be getting out there Uh, We also try to work with parents and families and really getting them to um, Understand that this is an important topic for young people to get involved with.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I do see that there's a big um, there's a lot of misconceptions about AI like the way that it's portrayed in the media that it's kind of like robots taking our jobs or the robot apocalypse or these other things that i think can lead people to have a really negative perception but at the end of the day it's it's a tool that we can shape how to use it Mm -hmm. and so when you have that more sort of empowering or nuanced approach people get excited to be involved with that yeah i mean
0: there's some truth to the fact that uh automation is going to disrupt some jobs and, and some jobs will be a thing of the past like what has already happened in some fields so how do you kind of work with that and and sort of what are you teaching students about sort of those potential jobs that might not be there anymore in the future
1: yeah definitely we like to have our students engage in some of those questions and really develop their problem-solving abilities around those areas rather than you know sugarcoating it or something like that But we also are optimistic that, again, if we create a generation of problem solvers and change makers in the space that are empowered Mm -hmm. to make good use of the technology, we can mitigate some of those risks. Mm -hmm. And I also think that my background before AI for All is around workforce development, and I did a lot of um, work around what are new models for retraining and training people up. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we need to There's no question that we're in a period of rapid change in the economy and we have to get, have better solutions to reacting to that more quickly so that whatever changes happen, whatever jobs change or, you know, new jobs are created. We have to enable people to move more quickly between those, especially those that are most vulnerable. Um, So I really believe that we need a lot of innovation in that area as well. Um, And we... You know, there's a lot of great solutions out there, like whether it's boot camps or retraining or apprenticeships, that I'm hopeful that if we can invest more in those, we'll be able to keep up with the fast changing economy that at the end of the day, we can't really predict. So we just have to be ready for it.
0: Yeah. How does the lack of diversity in this field, um, how do you think that affects what jobs are being automated first?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think ultimately, we only have a small set of people working on these technologies and making these important decisions. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have just a limited set of solutions and a limited set of viewpoints being represented in these solutions. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I think it's kind of too early to tell like what the implications of that are, is, but I think that uh, we're not gonna end up with the best outcome if we don't have, like a lot of times, for example, those that will be most impacted by the disruptions of AI are not the ones that are part of the conversation. So when we talk about, okay, you know, truck drivers will be automated because of self-driving trucks, how many people are talking to truck drivers who will be impacted and making them part of the solution? Mm-hmm. That's just one example of where we need to be mindful of who's in the room, and bringing those voices in will create a better outcome, not just for AI technology, but in dealing with the implications. Mm-hmm.
0: Hey listeners, it's Sydney here. We'll get right back to what AI for All is up to, but first, a quick note from our sponsor. Are you interested in creating an innovative, technology-driven classroom where your students can thrive? Emporia State University's Instructional Design and Technology Master's Program can help you do just that. The IDT program is available entirely online, so you can complete the coursework from the comfort of your own home, and it's now offered in an accelerated format. If enrolled full-time, you can complete the degree in as little as a year. Given the diverse career tracks in instructional design, multimedia, and technology, this program offers students the flexibility to customize their course of study based on individual goals and interests. Graduates of the program are well-prepared to practice their unique, multidisciplinary profession in a variety of settings, including business, K-12 schools, higher education, government and military, or to pursue doctoral studies. Learn more at emporia.edu slash grad. That address once more is emporia.edu slash grad. Um, I want to know more about the alumni outreach that you mentioned earlier too. Um, So what's like the life cycle like for the students who start in these summer programs um, and how do you keep in touch with them after? Are any of them still pursuing AI? Yeah, that's
1: a great question. It's pretty amazing, actually. So a year after the program, 77% of our alumni still want to go into AI. How many alumni is that? So this summer we're going to have, uh, right now we have 250 alumni. And then this summer, by the end of the summer, we'll have over 500 alumni. Um, so it's really, really amazing to see how much interest there is and excitement, because I think not only are they aware of the nuances like we're talking about, but they're really empowered um, 61% of our alumni go on to start AI projects in their communities. So it might be research projects or AI clubs um, or other outreach projects. We've had students that have built tools to track uh, the spread of wildfires or helping kids with autism or diagnosing dyslexia. And so I think that because it's such an empower- a powerful problem-solving tool, they can go back and apply that to the things that they care about. Um, in, in many different disciplines, like healthcare or environment or the education. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing, I think, when we just bring more people into the field, we see that there's a broader set of problems being addressed with these tools.
0: Yeah. Well, we're obviously sitting here at ASU GSB, and there are dozens of edtech companies around us, many of them that are talking about how they're using AI to... Uh, try to improve teaching and learning um, but what are some of the risks that you see around AI and in, in the way that it's being applied in education or at least what are the things that we should be um, looking out for when we use these tools
1: yeah it's interesting I've, I've had a bunch of conversations and been seeing how it's kind of become a really popularized buzzword yeah. let's say yeah. um, which is exciting I think there are a lot of great applications of AI in, in education personalized education all of these pieces, ways to make um, a teacher's time more efficient, for example. But I think a lot of why, for example, bias creeps into AI systems is because of the data that it's being trained on, so the training data sets. So I think the first and foremost, companies that are using AI in education or any space, frankly, need to really think about how they're going to mitigate potential biases in the data set. And every data set is going to have biases, but it's really what are the implications, yeah. and what are how are you going to test for that throughout the lifecycle of product development? Mm-hmm. And I would definitely recommend um, looking into that very closely and creating a set of um, standards in the company for how you're thinking about those data sets, you know, and all the implications that that comes with. Yeah. There's also a lot of work being done to create industry standards around responsible and ethical use of AI. And those are, there's a lot of free resources out there that I would definitely encourage people that are going down this route um, to look at. The European Union just put out a set of AI recommendations, for example, or IEEE AI and Ethics Initiative, the partnership on AI. Um, There's a lot of groups working on this. So I think those pieces are really critical to mitigate bias. But then, of course, going back to our mission, making sure that you have diverse voices represented. Yeah. So, if you're if you're using student data in how you're training AI systems, how do you get those communities involved? How do you get teachers involved? How do you get parents involved? And thinking about um, what what that means and what the implications are.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you're saying this, I'm thinking. Of course, it's. Uh, the company's responsibility to be thinking about these things. Um, but when it's in a school or, or in a system already, um, oftentimes it's it's staff members that have nothing to do with the company that are, you know, using the data and manipulating it. Um, so what are some tips for those folks? And, and how could they be, like, maybe what are some questions that they should be asking about the types of data that they're collecting um, about students?
1: Yeah, so it's a really good question. And I think, you know, putting practices and policies in place for how that data is collected, how they're thinking about privacy, and making sure that they're getting permission. And really, you know, a lot of times getting the permission is, you know, a long form that nobody understands (laughs) who actually reads privacy policies. But how do we make that really simple and straightforward so that people know how their data is getting used and feel like, I'm actually consenting to this in a, in an, you know, I have true knowledge of it. It's not just a form that I'm going through. So I think that's really important is just, how do we empower people with the knowledge to make the right decisions? And making sure that we're understanding again, what kinds of biases could be. Like for example, if you're only um, sampling a certain type of student from a certain geography or a certain gender, a certain race, um, that immediately will run into problems. So, really thinking about how to make your data and the use cases really, really diverse from the beginning will mitigate some of those risks. Yeah,
0: I mean, are there any like um, ways that we've gone too far with collecting data in education? Are there things that you think we, that's unnecessary and? and pump the brakes sort of thing when it comes to um, the way AI is being applied? Or do you think that that's, we haven't reached that point yet?
1: In education specifically, I don't know any examples, but I'm gonna go ahead and say probably because we're seeing that crop up. Um, For example, a recent study called Gender Shades, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Gendershades.org, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's great research coming out of MIT Media Lab and Microsoft. And they looked at facial recognition software, which is being used in airports, in hiring, in law enforcement, in immigration. And it found that there was race and gender bias in whether the tool was able to recognize people's faces. And this was studying the top facial recognition software that's being used out in the wild. So we may think that, oh, it's fine because it's out there, but that's really not true. Yeah. Um, So I would wager to say that there probably are issues that we're not aware of, and we need to be really, really mindful of that, especially when we're dealing with children and students. Yeah.
0: The other thing that I can't help thinking of is it seems like these conversations, like the one that we're having, are happening. Like, people are talking about this. um, But what are some of the biggest barriers you think to actually that are preventing kind of the change that you want to see in this space? Um, Yeah,
1: yeah, I think two things. One is access. So actually, um, we're working really hard to expand our summer programs. And in fact, this summer we're going to have 11 locations across North America, and we're actually launching a new program called the Open Learning Program which we're really excited about, it's to make this education free and accessible more widely. Mm -hmm. And we have a goal of reaching a million students over the first few years. And we're releasing a beta in April, so we're really excited about that. And it's free beginner level AI education. Mm -hmm. So I think the access piece, we feel a real sense of urgency to try to make this knowledge more accessible and available to everybody. Um, But I think the second piece is really, you know, on the industry and on who is actually creating and building these tools Mm -hmm. and creating the right accountability and um, responsibility systems that don't stifle the growth and innovation, but still are really mindful that this can have potentially negative implications and we have to make sure that we have diverse voices and are being inclusive throughout Mm -hmm. the whole process. Um, So those are really the two, I think, barriers, but there's a lot of hope, I think, if we can intervene now AI is still early stage enough that we can make a difference here.
0: Yeah, so you guys obviously work with students uh, before they reach university. Um, Are there any good examples, and we know that sometimes students fall off once they get to university for various reasons of course, but are there any good examples or advice that you'd share to colleges that could help promote more diversity in these programs and, and specific things that they can act on?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. We do see there's a lot of drop off, um, even amongst people that start in a computer science degree program mm-hmm. and then don't finish. Yeah, and a lot of what we see are a couple of things. Like one is um, the lack of support, mentorship, and belonging and community mm-hmm. that really helps become like almost like a vaccine against some of the challenges that people from different backgrounds face in retaining in the field um, because. There's a lot of cultures within universities that are not inclusive and are not welcoming or supportive to, um, to people that may not look like them, right? And so I think that creating alternate communities of belonging around that is really important. Mm-hmm. Creating pipelines of access into internships and into jobs is super critical. So I think career services can play a big role there. Um, not everyone has access to those types of networks of just getting that internship, yeah. um, which is really, really critical to be successful in the field, like when you're a graduate or to get a job. So I think mentor, mentorship, community, um, dealing with some of the lack of inclusive cultures in your own university, and then also those supportive networks to the industry and jobs after graduation. Yeah,
0: To the point that you just made, dealing with that culture, I mean, I think that's um, kind of at the center of a lot of these issues. But how do how do folks how should folks approach that on campus? Um, I think that I've certainly heard from you know anyone from faculty to administrators that it can be a daunting thing. So how do you usually start that conversation when you're about to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost it comes with self-awareness. Mm. So a lot of people aren't willing to critically examine themselves and their own biases or their own. Um, role in how this is shaped and created and really looking at like taking responsibility for that and doing research like what does this really mean Um, there's a lot of best practices out there but i think starting with yourself is really critical after that i think it's really putting into place um, some of those best practices which is you know who's at the table and making the decisions and that goes from faculty to administration to all of those pieces um, creating other resources on campus for students like we talked about and maybe doing like bias mitigation training for folks that are involved um, and really creating awareness around where is this coming from and how do we deal with it yeah. but I think most overlooked is that kind of self-awareness piece mm-hmm. awesome thanks so much Tess thank you so much for having me thank you thanks
0: for listening to the Ed Surge on-air podcast this episode was edited and produced by me Sydney Johnson Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. And tune in next week for more on the future of education.